Well, welcome back to the continuation of our podcast, sharing our mission, our journey, our travels throughout Israel, through the various provinces and regions, and what we saw, experienced, the encounters, the engagements, the revelations that Adonai showed Rabbi Guy and I. And we talked a bit, I believe, in our previous podcast. And Rabbi Guy, you want to do a summation of some of the things that we talked about real quick? Yeah, we talked about what we encountered during our mission trip in Israel. The people that we've seen. How the holy city has become the unholy city occupied by demons, greed, corruption, hate, violence. You know, we have we encountered several demons. Uh, the first trip and the second trip, I think we touched on it in the last podcast, but it was really the same demon, um, the exact same demon. And it's amazing how demons look exactly the same, regardless of what body they occupy. You've seen Hollywood movies when people are possessed, and no matter how they cast the actors to play the possessed person, if you'll notice, they all look exactly the same. From the one in The Exorcist to the one in Constantine, they all look exactly the same. Now, some would say that's just casting, that's just Hollywood. But in reality, demons do have the same spirit, the same characteristics. Uh, it's funny when you think about it, because you can see the same spirit on gangbangers, murderers, thieves, con artists, you know, those silvery, slicky tongues like, what about Saul? We can see that same spirit on prostitutes. It just makes you all look the same. God knows if you live in Southern California, all the surfers, no matter who you meet, they all somehow or another look the same. And you can see that there is a continuity in the spiritual. Now, we had people on that first trip respond when they heard the name Jesus. Remember that guy at the piano? Yep. When you sang your song, we give you praise over and over again. And as soon as you said Yeshua, Messiah, he just went, Dope! <laughs> mm-hmm. He looked like he had heard a swear word. And it's interesting that Yeshua, a common name, so I'm going to say Yehoshua. Yeshua, a common name, Yehoshua. And all of a sudden, they are so trained when they hear that name to respond so radically, so radically. In America, they use that name all the time in all the movies. They can't stop saying Jesus. And everybody hears that name and they don't respond at all. So you think about when Jesus walked on the hill in the Ganarines and the demon, the man that was possessed with the demons wanted to come out into the pigs because they, even before Jesus spoke, they knew who he was. There is such a response in Israel 
to that name. And it's instant. There's no response to that name in America. I would have to say it was nice to see such a quick knee-jerk response when they hear that name. Negative or positive, even the demons respond. In America, you say it, and it means nothing. In fact, not only does it mean nothing to them, they've grown so cold to that name that they use that name as a swear. They swear out the name Jesus or God. Only in America. God has been debased and taken down to be used. The OMG. The oh my God. You use that name so much that it has no power. It had power in Israel when we said it. People stood at attention. It will bring the devil out of you. When we walked into the shop and rebuked the shop owner for having statues, it brought the devil out of him. But that demon was well attuned. And no doubt when we were at the hotel, the wall, we had one come up to us last year. When we were on the train this year, we had another one come up, dripping with possession. And yet, Father protected us, shielded us, taught us exactly what to say and what to do at that moment. Because there are demonic forces at work. I think you and I have talked about it. It's quite disheartening, isn't it? To be in the Holy Land and witness what we witness. It broke our heart, but it must have broken the Father's heart long ago. Yeah, we do read about the time that Yeshua wept over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, how long have I wanted to gather you as a hen gathering her chicks, but you were unwilling. And nothing has changed, really. It is the same Jerusalem you read about in the Bible, a city of corruption, of filth, and every unholy thing. We kept seeing gay pride flags all over the place. Shops open seven days a week, violating the Sabbath. Prostitutes walking on the streets half naked. It's disgusting. And yet, and yet, we see that prophesied in the scripture. We see it talked about the male prostitutes in the temple. And we see the sacrifices of the babies. We see in the scripture how the abomination entered even the houses of worship where they went. And of course, no place. It's one thing to see it in the streets of Jerusalem. It's another thing to see it in the churches of America, which are rife with the spirit of Jezebel and prostitution entertainment, a God that is there to serve you rather than you to serve God. You know, we had been studying about that, haven't we, in the Parsha on the offerings. You want to talk about that? Yeah, the first couple of Parshas in the book of Vaikra, which is Leviticus, talks about all the different offerings that we bring to God, not the offerings that God brings to us. But see, in the Christian 
theology, faith pretty much sums itself up in what can God do for me. Nobody ever prays what they can do for God, but you always pray when you need something. See, we watched a movie a few days ago, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which is an old movie from 1945, and they have a brief scene where a child reads some genealogies from the Bible, but that's about it. And then, after the father dies, you see the little girl praying, asking for God to do something for her, even though they gave God absolutely nothing. That's right. And in fact, in fact, they were reading from, she was reading from Shakespeare, if you recall. <laughs> they stopped, the boy was reading the genealogies, and then they quickly switched to the girl reading Shakespeare, talking about the words of Shakespeare, as opposed to the work, of, as if the Bible, all it was was numerical genealogies. It was quite interesting. Yeah, it really was. And they mentioned the grandmother, the old one, right? The one who is supposed to be wise said, you need to read Shakespeare every night. But she didn't say that about the Bible, the word of God. No. And, and it's amazing because if you think about it, she purposefully, purposefully redirected the attention even in 1945, in a black and white classic film, redirected the attention from the most powerful book on the planet to some half-crazed mind literary poet who they glorify a book barely introduced to humanity over the eternal scripture. It's quite amazing when you see the indoctrination and the programming. It's subtle, but it's powerful. And more than that, you know, Stephen and I, we love studying astronomy, the stars, the planets, the moons, the, the universe, because the heavens do declare the glory of God. So we love to study it. And we notice that all of the moons of the planet Uranus are named after Shakespearean characters, because apparently the person who discovered that planet was English. So they decided, well, if he's English, who's the best English writer that we should name all of the moons of that planet after the characters from his novels? But they don't do it with characters from God's novel, which is really our history, the book of reality. They don't do that. But they would name a planet Mars after a deity of war some sort of a hedonistic, pagan, not even a god. Yep, and because there is an incessant and inherent knack and propensity to build a Tower of Babel, to challenge God, to shake our fist at God. You know, the first job that God gave Adam was to name it. He was holy, was to name it. And man in his fallen state continues to use that calling to name it. But the names they use are the names of rebellion that do not honor nor glorify God, but honor and glorify ourselves. Yeah, man sure loves himself. And 
when you really take the time to think about it, why? Why would you love yourself so much? Unless you really think that you are God, which man does, by the way. And yet, for such a fragile being, with such delicate skin, so easy to kill, all you have to do is lose a little bit of blood, get bit by the wrong mosquito, have a little bacteria, a little germ, just a little food poisoning, eating raw fish, it is so easy for you to die. Amen. And yet you worship yourself as if you were the creator himself. Where do you get such arrogance but from the heart of rebellion against God? See, because if you acknowledge God, then you have to humble yourself and realize you are just a creation, not the creator. But because you do have that spark of divinity inside of you, because after all, we were created in God's image, then because you have awareness and you can think, you can create, you can imagine, you can plan ahead, you can make things that are not there, you can dream dreams at night, you think you're so special. Rather than appreciate the gift that God has given us, the fact that we can understand the universe, we can learn, we can communicate, we can invent technologies, as, as much as what we're using right now to record this message, it was not there 500 years ago. We made it up. God gave us the intelligence to do so. But instead of giving God the glory and the credit and say, wow, look at what God has made. God has entrusted us with intelligence, with the ability to comprehend, understand, create. We shake our fists at God, the one who created the entire cosmos and everything in between. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And to your point, we are emphasizing the gift, but not the giver of the gift. We, we look at all these things that God has provided, but we want to excise, extricate God from the conversation. You know, Israel, I think the thing that was disappointing to me, Israel is about to celebrate its Independence Day, 75 years. And here, look at them. Just look what's happened in 75 years. If you think about it, is there any emphasis on God? It, there's emphasis on the United Nations. There's emphasis on Britain. There's emphasis on the U.S. But there's no mention of God. And that is a nation that was formed by God. It's, we'll take the benefit. We'll take your money. We'll take your blessing but we don't want you. It was so disappointing. I expect that in America, by the way. It is not unusual in this country. But to see a nation that at its core, at its very source and origin, comes from a covenant with Abraham. To see that nation that was formed by the promise that God gave to Yaakov and changed him from Yaakov to Yashrael to see that nation formed by God, not because they were special, but because God is special, to be a force of spiritual nature to the world, to display and discourse the name of Adonai, to see that nation 
give glory to any and everything but the God by which they were born and birthed into being. It was so disheartening. Yeah, amen. And you know, the worst part is if you actually read the Declaration of Independence, God is not even mentioned. All they mention is the Book of Books. They don't even say the Torah, and they give it no further reference, but they do say, we plead with the United Nations to help us. And, and the worst thing about it is that even the United States of America, as wicked as it is, say, in God we trust. But not Yasharel, not the nation of Israel, not the nation of God that he himself made. I mean, think about it. What is the name? Yasharel, the upright one of God. And yet they remove God. So what do they have left? They're definitely not upright. It's a nation of hypocrites. So I do not celebrate the Day of Independence this coming Wednesday. Why would I? We are not independent. It's a lie. We are 100% dependent on the Lord, Adonai, the God of Yashar'el. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yashar'el, by the way. Maybe the independence is the independence from God. When, when they said they no longer want God to be their king, they want a king like other nations. We want to break off from God. We're tired of God. Give us a king like other nations. We want to be unchained from you. So maybe the independence is truly the independence from God. It's a divorce, a divorce from the covenant. Well, if you divorce your husband, you're no longer under the covenant of the husband. That means you're no longer under the protection of the husband. Now you are free for the taking of the enemies of God. And that's exactly what has happened throughout history. Uh, when Israel decided it had enough of God, God said very well, if you don't want my protection, if you don't want to abide under the covenant, under the, the hoopah, then be my guest. Others will grind on you. Others will capture your children. Others will make you slaves for their causes. And for many centuries, Israel did that with other nations. And even to this day, it, the sad part of being in Israel was seeing how they continue to do that. They continue to say, enough. Enough of God. We're, we're tired of it. And yet those who are called to represent him do not call them to that repentance like many other rabbis that we met. See, there's no Kohanim that's prophesying the Lord's message to Israel. The shepherds have even betrayed the call. They have not put God's shofar to their lips. And they have forgotten that they are to proclaim the message of Adonai. To see that in the Holy Land. I used to be so sad about my country. But my country was birthed in so much wickedness. It was not birthed like Israel was. Ours was birthed in wickedness. And yet we've seen it advance and progress from wickedness to become a holier nation, only to go back 
to wickedness and backslide and become even wickeder than before. America, when it was birthed, was not supporting abortion or homosexuality. It was wicked in what it did to the Native Americans, who are not Indians. That was Christopher Columbus's characterization because he had thought when he had found this land that he was on one of the islands of India. And now we begin to call people here what they're not. They're not Indians. But the nation was birthed with profiteers and pirates and merchants and a few straggling Puritans, religious zealots from England that wanted to break off from the Church of England and which was a good thing, as well as people that saw free labor by African transatlantic slavery. And so the nation is really a mosaic of a, a mixed bag of tricks, mostly unholy. So when you think about it, you can see how this nation from a spiritual point of view, got off on a very bad foot, but eventually began to get on a very right foot and only then during the Industrial Revolution return to come back to a very bad foot and double down. And we know the scripture says that wickedness would increase you know, the scripture says, who did hinder you? You started off so good. Who hindered us that caused us to backslide, that caused Israel to backslide? Who was birthed, born and birthed by God? Who did hinder us in the United States that caused us to repent from the horrors of slavery and to turn its heart towards God in an era in the early 1900s of a great revival era, what happened that we turned from that era of revival and re national repentance to become the main supporters and proponents of sexual immorality, pornography, abortion, and homosexuality? What happened in this country? When we used to define human rights by human rights in the scientific sense of what a man and a woman is and how all people, black, white, native Indian, foreigners, should be treated with equity to becoming even more racist than we had ever been, more misogynist than we've ever been, more sexist than we've ever been, and now to the point that we are even less human. It's all about the virtual world, the artificial intelligence, the robotics. It's all about the dehumanization and the inhumane. And we have now told other nations around the world, being the powerhouse that we are economically, that if they want help from the United States of America, you'd better support gay marriage and if you don't support gay marriage and abortion, we're going to come after you. We're going to do everything we can to stranglehold your economy. Because the linchpin for humanity and America's foreign policy is now not democracy, it's homosexuality. And that is just disgusting.
See, the Lord says, A man shall not lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination to who? To the Lord himself, the one who invented the two sexes, the one who made your genitals, the one who came up with the concept of sexual intercourse and relations between a man and a woman within the confinement of the covenant, which is called marriage. And that is what God created. But there comes man with his arrogance and corrupts it, violates it, destroys it. See, man takes everything good that God has made and absolutely destroys and ruins it. Think of agriculture. All the GMOs, the hormones you put into your cows, into your corn, into your crops. Everything is so modified. And men, can, men always think they can updo God's creation. And they always destroy it. Think about how many cases of cancer we have annually. Something we did not have up until maybe the, the last hundred years or so, when men started playing God. All the sicknesses and diseases, you know, 3,000 years ago, they did not have soap. And yet they lived longer, they lived healthier, their quality of life was better. Men, modern men, I should say, always like for you to think that we've improved somehow, that we've evolved. But the reality is, we have not evolved, but devolved. We are much worse off now than we were 3,000 years ago. Just read the Bible. You know, it is a history book after all. The history of the nation of Yasharel, the history of the nations around Yasharel. People were living to be 120, 130. Easy. No soap. Did not brush their teeth. Sure, they might have stunk a little bit because they didn't, you know, use deodorant. But so what? The spiritual condition, which is what is most important, by the way, was much greater and much healthier than it is now. I don't, I'm not so sure they really stank because they didn't use deodorant. You know, most of the stench from a lack of deodorant is really because of the chemical compositions and decompositions in our diet. You will literally smell like what you eat or what's going on in your body. So there is a sense that it's really not deodorant, it's health. Because as you said, we're, we're not living in concert and harmony with our environment. We close ourselves out from our environment. Our very homes are killing us. You know, early England, they were dying because of the types of materials and velvets and colors that they were using, the dyes that they were using in these homes that when you look at these old English movies, you see they all seem so dark and rich with reds and purples. And it's the chemicals. You're living in a chemical festering apartment or house. We talked about the sheetrock in America that we get from China that's emanating poisons and toxins. We live in a place where we're mostly enclosed. We, we're not breathing the air. We barely have a window to have the fresh air in. We're taught to leave the fresh air out, to live in a box surrounded by steel and metal and paint. Paint that gets hot in the summer, 
cool in the winter, emanating these chemicals. We went from glass to plastic that's constantly emitting toxins. We're killing ourselves in the name of industrialization and mechanization. And as a result, we're living out of harmony with nature. That's the problem. We've made nature the enemy, natural order the enemy, which is why men are no longer men, women are no longer women. Anything that is natural is now the enemy. One of the things in Hosea, when he talked about this kind of change in chapter 10, he said, Israel was a luxuriant vine, luxurious, freely putting forth fruit. As his fruit increased, he increased his altars. As his land got better, he improved his standing stones. Their heart is divided. You know, you get so rich, you get so fat, you go into the land and you forget where you come from and who brought you there and who got you there. Their heart is now divided. Now they will bear their guilt. He will break down their altars, destroy their standing stones. For now they will say, we have no king because we didn't fear Adonai. And what could a king do for us anyway? They mouth words, swearing falsely, making treaties, Judgments spread like poisonous weeds. The inhabitants of Sharon are frightened of the calf gods of Betavin. Its people mourn over it. Its priests tremble over it, over its glory, which has left it. It will be carried to Asha as a present for a warning. King Ephraim will be put to shame. Israel will be ashamed of his own advice. Shemron's kings will perish like foam on the surface of the water. Destruction will come on the high places of Avin. That is to the sin of Israel. Thorns, thistles will grow over their altars and they will say to the mountain, cover us and to the hills fall on us. Since the days of Givah, you have sinned, Israel. There they took their stand for these arrogant people at Givah. War was insufficient punishment. When I wish to, I will discipline them, and the peoples will be gathered against them to discipline them for their two crimes. You see, there is a day of judgment coming to all of us, Israel, the U.S., individually. We talked about it, the, the national sin, the individual sin, the corporate national guilt, the guilt of the priest. God is going to hold us all accountable. But as we began the podcast, and as you said, in the modern faith, particularly in the U.S., in the West, it's what God can do for you, not what you can do for God. John F. Kennedy said once to the nation, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. There's no greater calling than the heavenly country, the heavenly kingdom that we should offer our peace offerings, our fellowship offerings, our burnt offerings, our sin offerings, joyfully, willfully, gladly. We should come in dancing and thanking the Lord that he gives us an opportunity to offer that thing that will cover our guilt and our sin. And for those that are not Converted, who have not accepted the Lamb of all lambs, that's Yehoshua, Yeshua HaMashiach. He's the final Lamb. He is the Kohen 
Hakadol. He's the Ehran. He is the Moshe. He is the Elijah. And he's made a way for us to make that offering, to come to him with humility and make that offering, right? Yeah. We met a rabbi, the one who said, don't bring Jesus into my house. And he said, if I want to talk to Hashem, I will talk to Hashem. Well, I guess he did not read the book of Exodus and Leviticus when God told Israel, if you only touch the mountain, you will surely die. Moshe was the only one allowed to approach the top. Aharon himself, the high priest, could only go halfway, and the elders and the rest of the priests and Levites could only go to the bottom. You cannot approach God unless you are first sanctified by the blood of Yeshua. That's another thing that surprised me. It's such a novelty in Israel to think you can talk to Hashem, whereas everybody in America thinks that they're hearing from God every day of the week. <laughs> they both are so extremely off. In Israel, they said, well, remember that one man said to us, well, I hope one day I could have the Ruach HaKadosh. I am praying. You know, he's acting like the day of Pentecost and the Acts of the Apostles never happened, that the Spirit of God cannot be given to him. Uh, here, in this, here in the U.S., well, everybody thinks, everybody walks around as if they have the Spirit of God. They both are, it's, it's very interesting to me, uh, from the rabbi making that point to here, the average guy, the, the homeless guy on the street will tell you he's been talking to God. <laughs> and of course he hasn't. And, you know, everyone here, <laughs> they think they have the Holy Spirit when they don't. Over in Israel, they don't even think they can have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and most people in Israel don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. They think it's some sort of a Christian invention, even though it says very clearly that King David spoke about it. Psalm 51. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But for some reason, the Jews, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, think the Ruach HaKodesh is some sort of a, a made-up Christian thing. See, people are so off here because they do not study the Word of God. They're too busy, you know, the rabbi we stayed at, right? We were there during Pesach. You know what he was consumed with? He was consumed with not eating beans and rice and lentils because of a fear that maybe a grain of flour fell into the water and, and became chametz, and therefore it's not uh, kosher for Pesach. He was so consumed, we gave him ice cream, says kosher for Passover. He was like, no, no, maybe a grain of flour fell into it and it's not kosher. And yet, all that, well, he treated us like crap. We didn't even have plates and cups and bowls, and we paid to be there. But he was so consumed with the legalistic, ritual religion, and he forgot about the spirit of love, the spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh. And he smoked. He smoked like a chimney stack. How unclean is that? Worrying about the possibility of a grain while he was killing his body, one cigarette after another. Yeah. I met many people in Israel that smoke cigarettes at the same time they're putting on their tefillin, as if that's going to do anything for them. It's like, why? Why, you, why do you bother? Just, just stop. What's the purpose of putting on a tefillin 
which is, by the way, not even in the Torah. That's a made-up commandment by some rabbis. There's nothing in the Torah that says it, whether they tell you so or not. What it says in the Torah, by the way, if you are interested, if you actually have some knowledge, in Deuteronomy 6, it says, Bind these words, write them on your heart, on your mind and on your heart, and as a sign, not on your hands, but next to you. The Hebrew for it is, Samtem al yadcha. Now, the word al yadcha, it's like when you say to someone who's sitting next to you, he is al yadcha, he's right next to you. So not physically, literally on your hand, that wouldn't make sense because God said do not engrave tattoos on you. No, he meant put it right next to you so it will serve as a memory in front of your eyes. And what he is referring to, by the way, the Lord refers to the Ten Commandments that he gave the previous chapter. He doesn't tell you to memorize the verse that tells you to memorize the commandment, but to actually memorize the commandment. So there is no tefillin commandment in the Torah. It's a made-up religion by a bunch of Pharisees, and yet everybody fall for it. We heard some rabbi said on YouTube, I can't remember who it was, doesn't matter, but he said, it's so beautiful that the most known thing for Jewish people around the world is the tefillin. It's become the symbol of Judaism. And I'm crying my heart out. I'm saying, that's the symbol of Judaism? When it should be servitude of Hashem, should be the Torah, should be the spirit of, of love, the Ruach HaKodesh, but instead it's a tefillin, something that is not even of the Torah. And to your point, just as we did in the Parsha, uh, Leviticus, it says these are reminder offerings. They are sent, they are set to remind us. To remind us of what? that everything belongs to God. That's why we give offerings. It's a reminder to you. Your money is not yours. You are a steward. Your breath and your life is not yours. It's a gift from God. Therefore, of course you give your life to the Lord. It's a reminder that all things come from him. These these festivals we celebrate, they are reminders, opportunities for us to act upon the act isn't the quoting, it's the action. It's carrying out the reminder. It's not quoting the reminder, it's actually obeying the reminder. Meaning, thou shall not. Quoting thou shall not, it's not thou shall not. It's actually when you are not doing it. So the, the purpose of it, reminders. The Lord did not tell us to make statues as a reminder. He never told us to wear a tefillin as a reminder. He never told us to wear a cross around our neck for a reminder. He never told us to hang up an artist's rendering of what Jesus might have looked like, and most of your renderings don't look anything like him because he wasn't handsome according to the scripture. So you all have a romanticized, false view, Hollywood version, demonic iteration of God of his truth and of his Torah. And by the way, speaking of festivals, most people in Israel do celebrate Pesach for some reason, even though they don't even believe in God or the Exodus, and yet almost none of them celebrate Yom Kippur. And I just wonder why. Why is it okay for you to get everyone together and celebrate a Thanksgiving-style meal, mocking God, right? They say, well, the Haggadah, says you have to drink four glasses of wine, so they, they sure pour that thing. Everybody getting drunk, indulging debauchery, as if they're doing something holy. But then, 
Yom Kippur comes around, you don't see any of them around. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they all stay inside, or, or some of them even throw a barbecue just to, you know, throw one at God. It, it just, it's so godless. And to think this is the Holy Land, the people of Israel. Now, before I say the people of Israel, though, one thing you have to remember and understand. The Torah says very specifically, Exodus 12, when it talks about the Passover, it says, anyone, whether native or foreigner, who eats leaven on the week of Pesach, that soul is to be cut off from the people of Israel. So, technically speaking, if you do not keep the Pesach, if you violate the Sabbath, if you eat meat with blood, you are to be cut off from the people of Israel. Now, the question comes, well, who are the people of Israel exactly? And the answer to that is very simple. The assembly of God. See, there is physical Israel, the people you see living in the land, but then there is the spiritual Israel within the physical Israel, those who are actually faithful, those who are actually obeying and living out the Torah with loyalty to Adonai. And remember that the Torah was given to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai because the whole assembly was to be faithful to Adonai. There were no secularists at Mount Sinai. <laughs> that is something new. There was no such thing as, are you religious? No, it was just everybody serve the Lord or be cut off from the people of Israel who were the holy assembly of God. Mm-hmm. And they didn't ask, are you Jewish? They never asked that question like they would ask us in Israel. They didn't ask, are you Christian? Like they ask in this country. They would simply say, do you know the Lord? You know, Paul said those who eat and drink partake of the Passover communion unworthily will partake to their own death. And many have died. He was referring to the Passover meal. Many have died taking it unworthily. You know, Father is a judge. I know you all hate that part. You want Jesus, God, Adonai, Hashem, to be just the Santa Claus of the world, which is why Christmas is celebrated more than Easter. And Easter is not even really the holiday. It's Pesach. Easter is a godless term. But in America's narrative, Easter is the resurrection of Jesus. And the Christians seem to have integrated the rabbit and eggs and chocolate candy and have violated the real meaning of Passover, of Pesach. But come Christmas, everybody, rather they are secularists, heathens, paganists, they all participate in a celebration of Christmas. I think there's one religion in America called the Jehovah Witnesses. They don't participate in any of the holidays. We violated the Lord's holy days. We violated his Shabbat, the Sabbath, because we were taught it doesn't matter. Well, if it doesn't matter there, where else doesn't it matter? If the Sabbath doesn't matter, what else doesn't matter? Who gets to wake up tomorrow and tell you something else of what you think is faith matters? Well, a man living with another woman without a, a marriage doesn't matter. Two men well, that doesn't matter as long as they love each other. Two women, that doesn't matter as long as they love each other. Sleeping with a sheep, that doesn't matter as long as they love each other. Where does it stop? That's why the standard has to be point by point, 
yea and nay. The borders and the border stones have to be set to know you shall not pass. Clear, defined lines are how successful buildings are built, infrastructure and transportation. There must be defined lines and without it, you have chaos. But we violate that principle while we practice it in almost every other area of logistics. When it comes to the way you live morally, you decide defined lines don't matter. And there's only one reason why. Because of the seed of rebellion innately programmed in our lives that given our way, we will do what we want, want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, if we have to steal or kill or lie or cheat to obtain it. That is the nature of us without the fire of God's Shekinah to purify us, to turn us around, and to shuva. Repent. Rabbi, why don't you offer a prayer of repentance in Hebrew and English to our listening audience? Abba, אני יודע שחטאתי. אני יודע שנפלתי משלמות התורה. אכזבתי אותך. אכזבתי את עצמי. לא שמרתי את התורה שלך. לא שמרתי אמונים למצוות שלך. נפלתי. איבדתי את הדרך. אבל כעת אני אבקש ממך שתוביל אותי בחזרה. תפתח את עיניי ואת אוזניי, תעזור לי לראות, לשמוע ולקבל. תעזור לי לחזור אל הדרך הנכונה, אליך, אל ישוע המשיח, אל רוח הקודש. לקבל את המתנה הזאת, המתנה הנפלאה של חברות איתך, להכיר אותך, לחיות איתך, להתהלך איתך. מהי מלכות השמיים אם לא מערכת יחסים איתך? תעזור לי ותכוון אותי כאשר אני מצניע את עצמי בפניך, מלך חי וקיים, אדון האדונים ומלך מלכי המלכים, הקדוש ברוך הוא, ותושיע אותי מעצמי. אמן. Say, Father, I have sinned against you. I have failed you. I have not kept the Torah. I have not upheld my end of the covenant. I have failed you. I have failed myself. But now I humble myself before you. I repent. Of my sins, of my transgressions, I repent of my iniquities, of my rebellion, of my disobedience. I pray that I could turn around, that I could return to you, that you would open my eyes and my ears, 
so that I can see and receive. Father, I do pray that I can walk with you, get to know you, spend eternity with you, not because of anything you give me, but simply because of you, for what is the kingdom of heaven but the relationship with you? Help me, guide my path, be a light unto my feet, Father. Help me return through Yeshua the Messiah, through the blood covering. Guide me, Father. Accept my humble prayer and my repentant heart. Do not reject me, Father, but help me. Help me see the way. Help me return back to you. Amen. your way to Shuva, for it's too late. Glorify, magnify Adonai the King. Glorify, magnify Adonai the King. Glorify, magnify Adonai the King. My Avi, oh, to Shuva. Change your ways to Shuba, for it's too late to Shuba. Change your ways to Shuba, for it's too late. Oh, glorify, magnify, add an eye the Lord. Woo! Glorify, magnify, add an eye the Lord. Adonai the Lord, my Aobi, my Aobi, my Aobi. Teshuva, change your ways. Teshuva, before it's too late. Teshuva, change your ways. Teshuva, before it's too late. We gotta glorify and magnify Adonai the King. Magnify the Lord, we gotta sing. Glorify, magnify, Adonai the King. He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We gotta sing. Woo! Shuva, change your way to Shuva. Make your way to Shuva. Make that change to Shuba. Gotta change our ways. Good. That's a good one.
Wait.